stuff right there. Um, so we are uh, about in the middle of a series of sermons from the book of James, and the series is entitled Growing in Maturity, and when James talks about maturity, what he's really talking about is being more and more uh, conformed to the image of Christ. And when we talk about that at Elmer's Christian Reform Church, what we're talking about is being God's source of shining light and living water out in the world where he puts us every single day. And that's really what our focus is on. And in um, the first three messages out of the book of James, it was the first chapter. And uh, James is really focusing, uh, encouraging us to look in the mirror and for us to take a personal assessment of our own spiritual lives and to find out where we are in our relationship with Christ and where are some of the edges in which we need to change and, and grow into Christ's image in, in more profound ways. And then last week, uh, as we looked at the end of chapter 2, um, Pastor Bert helped remind us that we are individuals, but we're also a community of people. And what does it mean for a community of people, uh, for a congregation to reflect the image of Christ, to continue to grow in community? And James has some things to say to us about that. We're going to begin with those things today. Last week it was about not playing favorites. And this week, James is going to take a little bit of a change for us. And so let's look at uh, the first 12 verses of chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by just a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now, the irony of the fact that I was supposed to string together a group of words to talk about the danger of stringing together a group of words was not lost on me this week. You have to talk about words, and words can be a danger, and there's a special warning for those of you who um, are willing and desiring to teach others, and we'll come back to that in a few minutes. But words have a power about them, according to James and according to the entire scriptures, that I think sometimes we're not even aware of because we are people of words and we are people of, of many words. Now, one of the things that we've done from generation to generation to generation is to perpetuate a lie. 
And I'm going to call that lie out this morning. How many of you, we'll take a little poll this morning, ever had your parents utter the phrase to you, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me, right? You all heard that? And then you passed it on to your children and passed it on to them. And have you ever thought about the idea behind sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me? Why did you have to say that to a kid? Because they found the names being hurtful. <laughs> so what you were doing was actually dealing and kind of a, setting up a tension in a child's life. Well, hold it. You know, I'm hurt by the words that kids are saying, oh, that's okay, honey, sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt you. Well, yes, they do. They do hurt. Words can be painful. And today we've accelerated that whole thing to this whole um, deal that we have to, to, to wrestle with, and that is bullying, right? Bullying is about name-calling. It's about picking on other people. And it's accelerated to a point now where it's almost epidemic among um, children and teenagers and young adults because you can never get away from it unless you cut yourself off from social media. And that would be like death. But you get it in person at school. You get it when you're out in public with one another. And then it continues through social media on and on and on again because words have a power about themselves that we don't always know about or imagine or even think about together. And it's not just in the teenage world and in the young adult world. You know, parents, we need to be careful about how we talk to our children. We communicate messages that we're not even aware of, you know. When you say to your kids, you know, well, you know, you did okay in that test, but you could have done a little bit better. Are you communicating the message, well, you were kind of a failure? I just spent enough time on athletic fields listening to the way the parents talk to kids, and I wonder how the kids ever survive being failures and miserable. They can't do anything. It's the message that they're given on and on again. And sometimes even faith, um, famous people have had to overcome miserable parenting. Winston Churchill, for, for instance, the, um, the very famous prime minister of England from the era of World War II, had a horrible relationship with his parents. His mother ignored him. And I'm thinking that he would have wished his father would have ignored him, but his father didn't ignore him. His father always had something to say to him, but was never positive. At one point in his life, Winston Churchill um, was not accepted into a prestigious school that his father thought that he should. He, just a secondary school. I mean, you know, uh, instead of Harvard, it might have been Dartmouth or something. But it was a failure in his father's eyes. And so his father wrote him this letter. Do not think that I am going to take the trouble of writing to you long letters after every failure you commit and undergo in life. I no longer attach the slightest weight to anything that you may say about your own accomplishments or exploits. If you cannot prevent yourself from leading the idle, useless, unprofitable life that you've had during your school days and later months, you'll become a mere social wastrel one of the hundreds of public school failures, and you will de degenerate into a shabby and unhappy and futile ex existence. If that is so, you bear all the blame for such misfortunes yourself. Love, Dad. I, well, the love, Dad part wasn't there. I just kind of added that for irony. But is that the way that parents talk to children in England, Paul? We're not really sure. I mean, you're from England. You should know these things. I had no idea. Maybe that was the very thing, right? that spurred Winston Churchill on to greatness, trying to prove his father wrong and all the negativity in his life. It's not a parenting style that I would recommend to do that to your kids. I think Winston Churchill was an exception. But words have power. And we know we have power. If you, words have power. If you pay any attention to the scriptures at all, you know that uh, God created 
by speaking words. Read the creation story in Genesis, right? There are six days in which God created things. He separated the earth from, uh, from the water. He put lights in the heavens and there was day and there was night. He created, created the creatures of the sea and the animals of the earth and human beings. He created, and every one of those days begins with this phrase. And God said. And God said. God spoke things into being. He created through his word. And then... When God became incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ, the Apostle John summarized that by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Jesus is the Word, and words have power. Sometimes we underestimate the power of words. The book of Proverbs reminds us that our words have power to destroy and the power to build up. In Proverbs 18, it says that the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. But Jesus said something that caught my attention, and and at the end of reading this, I said something very spiritual like, yikes. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment For every careless word they've spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you'll be condemned. That's a very sobering lesson by Jesus. And James picks up on that theme in verse 6, does he not? The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the, the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself on fire by hell. And using a series of metaphors, he reminds us of how the tongue, even though it's a small part of the body, really controls what we do and has a lot to say about the direction that we're going to take. Just like a bridle does in a horse's mouth, you just got this little bit in the horse's mouth and that controls everything that a gigantic horse can do. Or or the small rudder on the back of a ship steers the course of that ship wherever the, the captain wants it to go. And a small spark can set a whole forest on fire. You know, unfortunately, we know we're going to see that this summer at some place, right? Where, you know, out in the desert when people are camping, they forget to put out their fire completely or someone throws a cigarette butt down and uh, and thousands and thousands and thousands of acres will burn just because of that one small spark. And our tongue is the same way. It's not, not the biggest organ of the body. But it may be by the Bible's estimation, the most powerful organ of the body that we have in terms of the way it influences others. The same way that God created the world with his spoken word, we shape our relationships with the words that we speak to one another. We have a tendency as people to kind of naturally fall into what Sidney Simon, who's an author and and a speaker, calls red pencil people. You know, remember when you were in school, it probably still happens today, uh, where your English teacher, well, you'll turn in your paper and they'll take their red pen to it and make all the corrections and write all the criticisms. And I mean, when I got my papers back, it looked like somebody had cut themselves in blood all over the page. But they were always red pencil criticisms, right, about where it could have been improved, how it could have been done better. Oh, you didn't do this. Oh, you didn't do that. And you just, oh. A lot of us are red pencil people with the words that we speak. We're always critical of things. We always look at things negatively. There's something else that could have happened. I wish you would have done it this way. And in general, sometimes that's the way we parent people. 
I mean, think of, you know, what happens when your kids come down for breakfast in the morning or show up at the kitchen and you're all ready to go to school? You can give them a test every morning like some people like to do. Are you wearing that to school? I won't ask who's ever heard that. Did you brush your teeth this morning? Did you get all your homework done? Are you ready to go? Is your project completed? Why are you always rubbing your eyes? How come you don't comb your hair? Are you really doing this tonight? Are you really doing that? There's this long quiz. So basically, is a quiz of criticism. And there are different ways to approach this. You know, you could say when your kids come to breakfast in the morning, Hey, great to see you. I'm glad you made it down here. While I'm getting your breakfast ready, why don't you just go, you know, if you haven't done it already, you know, comb your hair and brush your teeth and, and make sure you got everything ready so that you can just walk out when breakfast is over. And so I said that at the first service, and some said, Well, when your kids only give you five minutes to do everything... Because they don't come down in time. And, and that's what happens. But that's, that's a whole other family management problem I'm not going into today. But how do we talk to our kids? There's a story of a family that lived in the mountains of Colorado, um, you know, right out their back door. And their kids would go up and play in the mountains all the time. And, and periodically, one of their sons would come home and complain that there was some man out there who was always yelling at them. And, and the mom was kind of, well, really? There's some guy out there yelling at you? Yeah, you know, he always, I hate you, I hate you. He's always yelling. And the kids always come back terrified. They want to meet this guy. And so the mother went out with the kids one day and walked through the mountains and tried to figure out and see who this person was that was always yelling at her kids. And all of a sudden, her son yells up into the mountains, I hate you, I hate you. And the echo came back, I hate you, I hate you. <laughs> and this is what the kid was reporting all of the time. The echo that he was hearing. The lesson is this. Oftentimes what we give out is what we get back. What are we giving to people? What words are we speaking? How are we sharing into their lives? Because what you give to people is more often than not what you're going to get back. Words have power. James brings it a little bit closer to home for us this morning. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with the curse and we curse and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So here we are in the sanctuary this morning, we're praising God, we're honoring Him with our voices and our prayers and our thoughts and our hearts. But afterwards, what are our conversations like? What do we talk about when we're in the lobby? What do we talk about in the parking lot? What do we talk about when we're together over the dinner table? What do we talk about in small groups? How do we converse about what we experience in the morning? What do we say about the life of our church and our body? The Apostle Paul gives these instructions. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Don't let any, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The only words that we should speak about and to one another are words that are helpful, and then according to each person's needs. Do, do you know what that person needs? What would be helpful to that person? How could, I, how could I speak life into that person? This chapter in James begins with a warning to those who speak on behalf of God. It talks about teachers. I wasn't allowed to read this uh, passage when I was in seminary. They only gave it to us afterwards because otherwise who would graduate, right? If you're a teacher, take caution because it's a huge responsibility. And we tend to kind of limit that to those of us 
who speak on God's behalf professionally every Sunday. But he goes on to say, all of us, all of us, all of us have something to say. And all of us say something with our words or the way we live or our attitudes or our perspective on life. When we live here today, we're all teaching somebody about what it means to be a Christian. And a lot of times we don't even have to say the words, right? If people know that we're a Christ follower, they watch the way we behave, they listen to the attitudes that we express, to the words that we speak to one another. So all of us are teachers, and we need to understand that it's a huge responsibility to represent God in the world. Children listen to the conversations that their parents have. When you're talking with one another, what do they hear you say? What do they hear you say about their school or their teacher or their coach? You know, when I was, uh, yeah, I guess I'll tell this story. When I, was, when I was coaching basketball at Chicago Christian High School, we finally had to make a rule that all the girls on the team had to ride home on the van together. They could not ride home with their parents. I mean, that sounded rather strict because you got parents who live in New Lenox and Mokina and all over the place, and they didn't want to have to come back to Palos Heights to pick up their kids. It was just kind of a pain. Why do you have to do that? Well, you want to know why we had to do that? Because some of these girls would get in the car with their parents and all they would do would criticize what they had done in the basketball game. It was just a miserable experience. They had just finished the game and they just yelled at them and criticized what they did. <laughs> and that's what they were pouring into their lives. What are we pouring into our kids' lives? And if you don't think your kids are paying attention to the way you talk about things, they'll imitate it all the time. So we have a two-year-old granddaughter um, who spends time with us periodically and... Uh, you know, she has phrases that you know that she doesn't have in her own vocabulary. One day, one day, Becky was there, and she said to Elsie, well, go get your shoes. And so she came down with her little purple tennis shoes, and she says, Guama, aren't my purple shoes adorable? <laughs> and I'm thinking, what two-year-old has adorable in their vocabulary, right? None. She just, she's either heard her parents say this or undoubtedly her grandma say how adorable everything is that she does, you know? The parents are not very happy because I taught her to say boom shakalaka, but that's coming next. But <laughs> hey, if you make a basket, boom shakalaka, you know? You got to learn something. But kids listen, and people listen. And what they hear us say, they'll repeat in some way, shape, or form or another. Words have power. The way we talk about people and things can make all the difference in the world because people are listening and some people are listening more closely than others but no human being can tame the tongue it is a restless evil full of deadly poison so is it hopeless is what James saying that that we can't change He's just reminding us that we can't change on our own, that no human being can tame the tongue, that all the discipline and all the determination and all the effort that we can muster can't change necessarily the way we speak and talk about things, but it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught us that the words that come out of our mouths are a reflection of what lives in our hearts, and the more and more of Jesus that lives in our heart, the more and more of Jesus is going to be reflected in the way we talk with and about and to one another. It's God's word bubbling up in us, and that's what comes out. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can change the way we talk about people and to people. You see, Christians are those whose hearts have been changed by the power of God, and that change is reflected in our words. 
we are a community of people that are committed to being God's source of shining light and living water in the world. And the most powerful way that that is accomplished is for each of us to be transformed by the Holy Spirit to live into God's design for us to be like Jesus. And the resources that God provides are not only the power of his Holy Spirit, but the sacrament that we're about to eat together. For we believe that the body and the blood of Christ, the wafer and the juice that we'll drink today, is somehow mysteriously, through the power of the Holy Spirit, transformed into our lives to give us the strength and the wisdom and the insight and the courage to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. To understand that our words do make a difference. And that we can speak life and encouragement and power into people's lives. And that can transform people. So the story of Jesus meeting with the people who had caught the woman in the act of adultery where they were willing to condemn her and judge her, the ultimate criticism, they were willing to kill her for what she did. They were speaking judgment into her life. And Jesus spoke grace and mercy and love. And because of that, she became a different person. Words are powerful. Amen? Let us pray together. God in heaven, we confess that um, sometimes we don't give that much consideration to the things that we say, the way that we talk with people, or the way that we talk about people. We pray, O oh Lord, that you'll continue to work within us to help us to understand the power of our words and how we can speak life, transformation, love, and courage into the lives of other men and women. Thank you, O Lord, for preparing this meal for us, for dedicating us to your service. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.